For the first time since 1991, the federal government is updating the country's broadcasting act. Little did they know the firestorm it would create against Bill C-10. Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. Heritage Minister Stephen Guibo has been the one feeling the heat online and elsewhere over his bill, which attempts to bring some regulation to the internet. Social media companies like YouTube, Google, Netflix contribute nothing to Canadian content, unlike traditional broadcasters. C10 was to bring them under regulation to have them support Canadian creativity. Now, the argument has devolved into a dispute whether it would limit or monitor your social media feeds. The cry of censorship has rang out across the country as people worry about curbs to their freedom of expression. It has also become a political football as the Conservatives cite C-10 as Orwellian. Now, our unpublished.vote question asks, do you think Bill C-10 should pass as is or be amended? Pass, fail, or unsure? You can log on and cast your ballot right now at unpublished.vote and have your voice heard. Coming up on the, on the cafe, we'll take a look at the legislation and try and clear up some of the misconceptions. Joining us later, Kate Taylor, visual arts critic with the Globe and Mail. As well, Daniel Bernhard is the executive director of Friends of Canadian Broadcasting. First, I am pleased to be joined by Michael Geist, Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law at the University of Ottawa and one of the most fervent critics of this bill. And Michael, thank you for joining us. From your view, does the government need to regulate social media platforms? Yes, but not this way. So this isn't about whether or not the government should be regulating the online environment, in particular, some of these large technology companies. It's how they do that. Uh, it seems to me that, of course, there's a role for regulation. So there's any number of obvious places where they could and should be doing that, um, most notably the collection of a personal information. So privacy-related issues are critical. Tax issues are critical. Uh, ensuring that uh, that there's a fair competitive environment uh, and uh, antitrust-type issues are absolutely essential as well. The question is whether or not Bill C-10 is the right way to go about engaging in some of that regulation. Uh, and I think that I, I've always I've taken issue with it from the start for any number of reasons, but those concerns have only grown with the changes they've made that now encapsulate user-generated content within its regulatory scope. Now, we got a charter statement yesterday. Does that change anything? It seemed that it was not going to infringe on freedom of expression. No, that charter statement uh, is more of a political statement than a legal analysis, it seems to me. And it doesn't go to any of the really core issues that have been raised. I mean, fundamentally, the question is whether or not we want to see a regulator have a role in the content, YouTube videos, TikToks, the whole range of things, podcasts like this, uh, as being part of the regulatory scope, as treated as a program like any other program. Right now, that's what the legislation does. The charter statement seeks to say, ah, nothing to worry about here because users won't themselves be directly regulated, just their content. And anyway, you should trust the CRTC. Uh, it's required to abide by the charter. I'm not so confident that we should be trusting in the CRTC. It seems to me that uh, we need the legislation to comply with the charter. And I think when you move towards this form of regulation, lit quite literally encapsulating all user-generated content, it, it raises significant concerns. And I should note, there is no country on the planet that does this, even countries that have significant regulations that answered your first question, should we be regulating these kinds of companies? Many countries have said yes. Many countries have introduced regulations to do so. No one has thought it's appropriate to try to 
incorporate user-generated content within that scope. Is the CRTC the right call to do the regulating? Well, there's always going to be an issue about who's best situated to deal with some of these regulatory issues. I think part of the concern here is that part of this regulation should not be regulated really by anybody. Uh, this is, especially when we're talking about basic user-generated content, TikTok posts, Instagram feeds, those kinds of things, that's basic expression for an entire generation. It's the same way that my blog posts or emails or in prior generations, letters or faxes uh, would have are just basic forms of expression. We would never have dreamed of saying the CRTC ought to be regulating my letters or blog posts. Yet that's precisely what we're doing with this form of content. You know, radio and television regulated because they use the airwaves, which obviously are, are public. Now, in terms of online, the user's not using really something public. They have to pay for their connection. So that's why I'm kind of wondering why the CRTC is involved in the first place. Well, you know, it seems to me, I, I, would, I, I think you're right. I think I would raise that even in a broader context. The, this law seeks to say that it's all the same, right? So that we've got these rules for, uh, for television broadcasters, we've got them for radio, and they say, well, the online is basically the same. And so what we're going to do is just expand the scope of this regulatory world to include these so-called online undertakings. And the problem is that that's really putting a square peg in a round hole. It's not to say that we can't regulate or shouldn't have be considering some regulations for online undertakings. It's that saying that we should have basically the same kinds of rules for these online services that we have for a TV station or a radio station just doesn't work. And we've seen this law break down continuously whenever you get into that kind of analysis. So just to give you an example, the, the existing law has priorities like Canadian ownership of the broadcast system, uh, Canadian ownership of intellectual property, prioritization of Canadian performers, all the kinds of goals that you would have in a, in a Canadian-owned Canadian broadcast system. Now, this law seeks to say that all these foreign players, Netflix and Disney, they're all part of that Canadian system too. Well, you can't have it both ways. You can't, on the one hand, say that the Canadian system is owned by Canadians and at the same time say that Netflix and Disney are the part of that Canadian system, too. You know, uh, Stephen Guibo has been taking taking the heat for a lot of this. And, and, you know, as somebody who's been around the broadcast industry for a while and he hasn't been around at all, I'm kind of wondering, like, why why would you put somebody like that with zero background in something pretty important like this? And obviously what he's rolled out is continuing just to, to be a big mess, not only for him, but for the party. Yeah, I think that's true. You know, listen, cabinet ministers also to often take on roles that they don't have much experience with. And I think, you know, I think a ca any cabinet minister can learn on the, on the job and learn about these issues. But I, you know, with all respect to this minister, who I think has had a series of train wreck interviews on major networks and has been singularly incapable of providing a straightforward answer in the House of Commons, he doesn't show any real interest in actually understanding this area. I mean, what he really seems to have arrived at is this view that technology companies are evil. And so if we regulate them, that's simply a good thing. I mean, it comes from the environmental world where he sees these tech companies as akin to polluters. And there's no doubt that, as I say, there is a role for regulation. I think sometimes mm -hmm. 
the contributions of these companies have been mischaracterized. You started off by saying that these companies don't haven't invested at all in mm -hmm. Canadian content. Actually, don't think that's true. Uh, in fact, some of the biggest investors in productions in Canada have been companies like Netflix. Canada is one of the top three places where they spend money creating content. Uh, it doesn't always tick the right boxes because we've got outdated rules with respect to uh, what is defined as Canadian content. And so that's an issue mm, that we should be thinking yeah. about. And if you think it's hard to consider what is Canadian content in that context, think of some significant programs Netflix has funded that aren't treated as Canadian, like uh, Trailer Park Boys or Juste des Clans, a French language film filmed in Quebec. Think of how hard that is going to be if this becomes law and suddenly we say all users and they're all, they're con all the content of those users also must meet some Canadian content requirements in the sense of discoverability requirements that would be imposed on the various platforms. Michael, I want to thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Michael Geist is the Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law at the University of Ottawa. When it comes to C10, the gnashing of teeth over rights appears to be sucking the air out of the room. Kate Taylor is the visual arts critic for the Globe and Mail, and she joins us now. And Kate, how much uh, is the fear over C10 driven by the, the tech giants? I don't know. <laughs> it's a very good question. Um, I think the tech giants are, uh, American tech giants obviously are quite careful not to intervene in Canadian politics, although they obviously did make presentations uh, when this bill was in the earlier consultation stages. Um, you know, who I hear from are people like Michael Geist, who you mentioned, and mm. then um, a small but very, very vocal internet activist community um, who are opposed to regulation of the internet in any form. So I guess they're opposed to this bill for that reason. Um, personally, I think what's going on right now is mainly driven by uh, politicking by the Tories. I think they saw that this was, uh, this is a misunderstanding of the bill, right? It's not about freedom of expression. And we've now have the Justice Department come out with a second charter review to say it doesn't impinge on freedom of expression. But um, I think the Tories saw that it could be painted this way and have, um, you know, pure politicking. We know there's going to be an election sometime, sometime soon. And they know they, they feel this is a way they can get their base riled up. Um, and I think a lot of the media plays into that because the minute you mention freedom of expression, people in journalism get upset. So, you know, there's just basically been um, this misunderstanding about what the bill's about. And I talked to obviously a lot of people in the cultural community and the cultural community are gnashing their teeth because, you know, they see this as a, a complete red herring. Does the internet need regulating and is the CRTC the right entity to do it? Uh, well, um, Yes, I think the internet needs regulating. And mm. I think uh, I think actually one of the reasons why in some ways the internet activist community is so loud right now is because I think they know they're losing this fight because of obviously the election interference scandals in the US. Um, but I think more general, a great deal of anxiety about what um, social media is doing to democracy. I think many people are coming to the conclusion that some kind of regulation is required. Um, Having said that, uh, that's not what this bill is about. This bill is not about um, democratic uh, speech on the internet. Um, it's about cultural, it's about broadcasting. Um, and so it's, it's about uh, cu cultural content and, and I guess news media too. What would the, uh, be the impact on Canada's creative industries if C10 lives on? 
Uh, well, um, the idea is to level the playing field for Canada's creative industries. Uh, right now, um, you know, Canadian creative industries have always been at a disadvantage in their own market because of the scale of the American industries and the fact that in English Canada, at least, um, Canadians don't make much distinction when it comes to um, uh, comedy or drama uh you know, television content or music, they don't make much distinction whether it's Canadian or not. They like Canadian music, they like Canadian comedies, but you don't actually go out and say, tonight I'm gonna to watch a Canadian show. Um, that's not really how it works. As opposed to in news media, where I think people obviously do, you seek out local news and weather because that's what you need. So um, Canadian content has always been at a disadvantage of its in its own market in English Canada because of the scale of the American market and the way in which it can just dump content into our market at a fraction of the cost of what it might take to make Canadian content. So there's always been that problem. That problem then has been greatly exacerbated by the you know supposedly borderless digital world in that Netflix now operates in Canada, has millions and millions of Canadian subscribers, and yet uh, doesn't pay into any Canadian production funds. I mean, obviously it does some production in Canada, but we don't really know how much because it won't tell us. Um, but it doesn't pay into Canadian production funds. And we don't know how much Canadian content is in its catalog. And we don't know when we look on the homepage to pick a show, whether, uh, Cana whether Canadian shows are being privileged or not. We, we, we just don't know, right? It's invisible. Whereas if you go over to CT, CTV, say, or Global, well, they have to they uh, have to produce a certain amount of uh, uh, Canadian content. They have to broadcast it at certain hours. Mm -hmm. um, they have to uh, they have to pay a certain amount of their revenues towards Canadian content. So it's it's not a level playing field. So part of the idea is to level the playing field. Is this a bigger issue in Quebec where they they are concerned about their the, the you know the lack of support for the culture? Very definitely, very definitely. Yeah. And it's 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 so clear cut in Quebec, right? And and I note that the National Assembly in Quebec recently passed a unanimous uh, vote in favor of of uh, uh, Bill C-10 is a little bit unusual to have a, a provincial legislature come forward and say, we're going to make a statement about a piece of federal legislation, but they did that. And for them, it's clear cut. And they're kind of bemused by what's going on in English Canada right now, because uh, if you go, just to use Netflix as an example, if you go to Netflix, go try and find some Quebec shows on Netflix. There mm. aren't any. There's very little French language content on Netflix. And uh, I mean, obviously you can watch any English language show you want dubbed into, you know, you can go and pick the French soundtrack, but there's very little French language content and what it is is mainly from France. So for Quebecers, it's always, of course, protecting Canadian culture is yeah. always about protecting the presence of the French language in Canada. Do you expect to see C-10 pass or are we going to see this mothballed and they'll try and take another run at it? Well, I mean, time is, the clock is ticking down, right? Um, it's got to get out of committee, um, where I think it, I think it would pass committee. I think they can get these amendments figured out and pass, but then it's got to get through the Senate, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's got to get to third reading and it's got to get through the Senate. Um, and of course the clock is ticking down to an election. Parliament has a lot of stuff on its plate. I, I know that people in the cultural industries are very, very concerned that time will run out and we'll have lost the opportunity. And then, you know, you have to start from scratch again. Um, so I think it's, um, I think it's very, it's getting iffy right now, whether it will pass or not because of the way the Tories basically have succeeded in filibustering and delaying it. Kate, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you.
Kate Taylor is the visual arts critic for the Globe and Mail. Now, when you look at the rhetoric around C-10, you wonder if this bill could have been rolled out any worse. Daniel Bernhardt is the executive director of the Friends of Canadian Broadcasting, and he joins us now. And, and, and Daniel, the freedom of expression excuse by the opposition doesn't seem to carry water now after, after the charter statement. Do you see it that way? Well, I think that the debate about free expression was always um, a false one with respect to this bill, personally. Not because free expression is not important. Free expression is hugely sacred and vitally important, but simply because the Broadcasting Act is not a speech bill. Um, the Broadcasting Act is about um, the CRTC's ability to uh, require companies to uh, make financial contributions or have a certain amount of Canadian content or create shelf space mm -hmm. for Canadian content that's visible so people can, can choose to explore it if they like. Um, the CRTC is not and has not been and will hopefully never become the thought police. So um, charter statement, no charter statement. I think the, the whole free speech um, angle to this debate has been um, unfounded and unfortunate. Now, with the charter statement, do you think it, it, it makes this bill more palatable? Well, um, to the Conservative Party uh, members, anyhow, uh, they don't seem to uh, be much persuaded by this, uh, by this statement. Um, I think they called it just a letter and they said they're going to vote against the bill anyways. Um, so does it make it more or less palatable? I don't know. I think this debate, unfortunately, has become very, very heated and, uh, and very emotional. Uh, and for, for understandable reasons, you know, people, most people are not experts in broadcasting policy. And when they hear a couple people say that freedom of expression is under threat, they, they, they pay attention and they are, you know, right to be worried. And uh, Minister Gibbo um, has also not done a very good job of you know, putting these, these worries to rest, of reassuring people uh, about the true nature of the bill. So, so some of these concerns are understandable. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately this is about the election. The Conservatives would like to have a view that the, that the Liberals want to enforce a certain ethic uh, or ethical, moral, political standard of speech. And the Liberals would like to say that the Conservatives are, you know, radical libertarians and and uh, and whatnot and so i think this is all just posturing for the for the eventual election do you think this bill makes platforms more accountable uh not really no um i think the the most likely outcome of having these platforms included in the bill i mean let's go back to basics for a second you sure. know canada's largest broadcasters are currently not subject to the broadcasting act that's why we're here. And uh, what does being subject to the Broadcasting Act mean? It means that the CRTC can ask you to spend a certain amount of money on Canadian content, for example. It means that they can ask you for information, to disclose information or keep certain records. Um, it, it means a lot of things, but it doesn't mean that they're going to come and look over your shoulder and monitor what you're doing. Um, and it's not the criminal code and, you know, it's, it's nothing like that. So um, maybe there would be some application of advertising standards, certain things like this, but the most likely outcome is that CRTC would be able to ask for money. And that has nothing to do with accountability. And more, more, most importantly, it has nothing to do with user content or content of any kind. Um, and so that's the most likely outcome of, of these changes to the Broadcasting Act. And, and that uh, seems like what will be lost um, if this bill meets its predictable end. Now, when you talk about some of the biggest broadcasters right now, you're not talking about what we have in Canada. You're talking about the social media, you're talking about Facebook, YouTube, Google, that kind of a thing, right? Yeah. Um, this is something. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, well the thing that I, and I mentioned this to Michael Geist, too, uh, broadcasting is obviously 
regulated because you know the, the airwaves are everybody's and you have to get permission to use that. In the case of Facebook and all that, it's streaming. You have to pay for your connection. So I don't see where the CRTC would come into something like this to to do the regulating because it's not their it's not the, certainly not their uh, their wheelhouse. Yeah, I've heard that argument before that um, that the only reason why broadcasting is regulated is because spectrum is limited. Um, but I, I don't actually think that's the case. If you look back to the dialogue around the very first Broadcasting Act in 1932, um, was a conservative prime minister at the time, and what he said was, "We've got this incredibly powerful technology called radio. We could either uh, use this." as just passive consumers and get inundated with American shows and American values and American ads and all those things. Or we could use this technology to build and cultivate our own culture, our own dialogue, our own politics. He very much saw it as a tool for reinforcing Canada's independence. And that, that has been the case for a very long time. There are spectrum issues, for sure there are, but there are also cultural issues. Um, and, and, and certain uh, standards that have been applied. But the Canadian content policy is, is for example, the most important of those. Um, that is not because of limits of spectrum. It's because the marketplace on its own, given Canada's proximity to the United States, makes it harder, makes it easier rather for Canadian broadcasters to just take things from the US and sell Canadian ads against them. And so we've interrupted that market to ensure that Canadian voices can emerge. And lo and behold, the music industry is a perfect example of how given these options in front of you, people actually choose them and love them and the industry grows and develops. So the same has been true in television. And I think we should consider the cultural lens uh, here as well. It doesn't have to be the same in social media or streaming as it is in broadcasting. It's not one size fits all. But to say that broadcasting regulation only exists because of you know scarcity of the airwaves, I think is not the whole story. In terms of the heritage minister, um, let, let's just take a look at uh, what we've seen so far rolled out with this this. Uh, this bill in particular when he's had to go back several times about trying to clarify or or whatever has been going on because every time that you turn it's like the pandemic every message is different um has there been a worse heritage minister oh boy <laughs> well i uh, i don't i don't know um I, I haven't been watching uh you know looking through the annals of uh, of heritage ministers but I can definitely agree with the sentiment that you're trying to get through yeah. here, if I'm hearing you correctly, which is yeah. that uh, Minister Gilbo's participation in this whole process has made things worse and not better. Um, he's misstated his own bill um, on a number of occasions. Uh, he's also, I think, you know, responsible for allowing a bill to go forward that was pretty sloppily written. I mean, for example, we're talking now about the parts of the bill that regulate social media services. Social media service isn't even defined in the act. <laughs> there, yeah. there are a lot of really basic oversights like this. So um, yeah, I think a lot of the blame for this lies at the minister's feet. And I've, I've mentioned this um, in an uh, opinion piece for the National Post um, earlier in the week mm -hmm. that, you know, yeah, there's this big outcry over free expression. And I think that debate is false, but who's responsible for that? I think the minister was responsible for that because he, he, his public communications were poor, the legislation was drafted poorly, and it opened the door for people to, to sort of imagine their way into ambiguities. Um, and, and clarity of communication and of drafting the legislation would have, would have really resolved a lot of that and, and allowed us to have a more productive debate. There is still a debate to be had.
It's mm-hmm. just not that one. Do you, do you think C10 will see the light of day or do you think we'll get an election before it gets a chance to be passed? I think it's unlikely that this law becomes, mm-hmm. uh, this bill becomes law in this parliament. Daniel, I want to thank you for joining us. Hey, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Daniel Bernhardt is the executive director of the Friends of Canadian Broadcasting. And that leads to our unpublished.vote question. Do you think Bill C-10 should pass as is or be amended? Pass, fail, or unsure? You can log on and cast your ballot right now at unpublished.vote. I want to thank our guest today, Michael Geist, Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law at the University of Ottawa. Kate Taylor is the visual art critic at The Globe and Mail. And Daniel Bernhardt is Executive Director of the Friends of Canadian Broadcasting. And I want to thank you for watching The Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.